Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. So uh, we know that there would be no encouraging of ourselves without God's word. So we took eight verses. It's like, man, if we could take these eight verses and we could really use them as spiritual EpiPens, that when we are most anxious, when we are most fearful, when we are most afraid, when we are most riddled with guilt, that we could take these verses that are not just traffic signs, that verses that are not just words that appear in textbooks, that these verses from the Holy Bible, God's inspired word, have power, and that when we are at our lowest, we inject those things into our spirit and our heart, and we watch them work. Can I get a witness, somebody, that the word of God works? It does work. It is able. It is powerful. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It is able to cut through bone and marrow. And I will tell you And I will put God's word versus anything else. It is the balm that my soul most needs. Amen, somebody. And so in that spirit, we have really uh, locked in on verses that really, man, you know what I honestly, I found myself as I've kind of just been working those verses back into my heart. They're just, man, a lot of them, a great portion of them are big on God's sovereignty, which I think is, um, man, I was listening to, Gosh, was it D.A. Carson or, or R.C. Sproul, somebody? Um, but the title of their, their, um, their exposition of Romans 8 was either the greatest chapter in the whole Bible or the greatest chapter in the whole book. Um, but it was really anchored in God's sovereignty. And I remember preaching to y'all, you know, maybe in those first weeks, that our optimism has been underwritten and co-signed by God's sovereignty, right? That we can have hope. We can have a positive outlook on life because he's on the throne. Somebody say, God is sovereign. sovereign. That's just another fancy word to mean he in control. And then when you realize that God is sovereign, it eradicates anxiety. We, we talked about verses Deuteronomy 30, do not fear, right? Uh, because he's with us, right? Do you know that God's presence amongst us eliminates and calms and combats fear? And Sam talked to us last week out of 2 Corinthians 5.21, right? Those verses that we know that we have an ancient foe that seeks to work us that woe, right? We have a great accuser of the brethren. And how many of y'all know? I, I know half the church y'all already perfected. Y'all just waiting on y'all. Y'all going through the spiritual, you know, TSA checkpoint because y'all on y'all way to glory already. So I'm not speaking to y'all. I'm talking to the ones of us who still struggle with sin. Amen, somebody. How many of y'all know, uh, I think I heard John Piper say it first, maybe, you got to have some morning after scriptures. You got to have some scriptures you turn to the, the day after you have made a fool of yourself. The day that you realize that, man, what I've done, my words and my actions, man, they've almost crucified him afresh. Is the redemption still true for me? How many of y'all know you got to turn to some of those, right? That's Romans 8, there is thou therefore no condemnation for those, but I love that. Right, what Sam preached to us last week, that him who knew no sin, what'd he do, y'all? He became sin for me so that I could be what? Be called the righteousness of God. How many of y'all know I need that seven days out the week? Woo, Jesus. Woo, Jesus, I need that all the time, 365. And so we are on to the last two. And so... Um, as Leo read for us, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. Everybody say overcomes the world. And this is the victory, right, that has overcome the world, our faith. 
And who is it that overcomes the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Everybody say, believe in Jesus. Amen. So, with that being said, you know, that big word in there, the one that I really wanted to lean on was the overcoming. Um, And, you know, overcoming, very synonymous with victory and winning. And so, um, you know, I'm all... Oftentimes, I kind of zoom out, especially as I think about how I will preach and, and where I perceive the minds of people to be and what you perceive your faith walk or your faith journey to be. What is Christianity about? And so, you know, there are times Paul writes in his epistles, like 1 Corinthians 9, he's like, hey, man, don't, you don't run as someone who's not trying to win a race. You actually run like you're trying to win. Turn to your neighbor and say, girl, you need to run. Say, dude, you need to run like you're trying to win. Turn your other neighbor and say, you need to run. Run like you're trying to win. Look, I see, um, I see, you know, I got all my neighbors in the house. I got my favorite special neighbor. I see your face in him. I love you. Grace, you see who back over there in the cut right there? I see you. But anyway, you know, you come in my neighborhood. We got a lot of joggers. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I see... The, I see the Nashes here who groom superhuman people. You know, last week, little Steven was like this big, and he just, you know. But, you know, you can't play football like, hey, man, how's it going, buddy? You know? You got to be aggressive. You got to run like you're going to win. So, you know, one of the things um, I bought, Cope put me on, uh, Cope and Sabas and Michael, they put me on Catan. You know, but this is my first kind of game that's probably a little bit more extensive than Uno. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? So, this is, you know, you play Uno, it's just like, bro, just basically throw the card that's a little higher than that card or the one that matches that card. You know, okay, you can pick that up. By the second, third time you play, you straight. Well, you know, when you play Catan, it's like, oh, now, wait a minute. Uh, what, what rule is that? And is that a, a derivative of that? And you can't, and it, look, the manual, it come with a whole manual about this thing right? You know what I'm saying? You got to take your time. You got to read all the special things, right? Because you got to understand how to win the game. I remember saying, babe, I just bought this game. She said, how much you pay for that? I was like, it was just 70. $70 for a board. <laughs> and she said, it better be fun for a board game. But I love you some good time. But I think when we think about Christianity, I want to first introduce you to the fact that, hey, man, there is something to be overcome. There is a, a great combat, right? There is a, a victory that will eventually go to not everybody, but to one person and one people group attached to that person, right? And we got to view our Christianity like that. And what I want to do is just remind us of how we win. How is it that we will actually accomplish this winning or this overcoming. And what we'll do is we're going to focus on three kind of essential doctrines that will help us, three, you know, really foundational doctrines that will help us kind of frame up uh, this whole thing. As a matter of fact, I'm going to get Tez. Tez, throw up that, that, that beautiful diagram that I made um, a few minutes ago. Shla, blah. Oh, there it is. Y'all, I worked so hard on that <laughs> until Thea was like, uh, no, let me get that. Um, what we're going to do as we look at 1 John, we'll take a brief overview of the book. And we're just going to really look at how these three specific doctrines, if you know anything about Pastor Tim, I love to teach through about, you know, nine to ten foundational doctrines in, in kind of the, 
the, the, the, the getting to know your faith kind of thing. They call it the order salutis. You can find it anywhere online. But we're going to take three of these and we're going to really, because these are the ones that John is going to kind of emphasize, your regeneration, right? This idea that Christ now makes you alive and new, right? We'll talk about regeneration. Then we're going to talk about this idea of conversion and how that fits in our overcoming. And then we'll talk about this idea of sanctification, all right? So those are three doctrines we'll, we'll talk about today. So take it down. Let's just overview John real quick a little bit, right? So these books, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, um, are, you know, these letters that are kind of written. We believe that the background that's going on here is that John is kind of overseeing um, some house churches. There's been some recent crisis. There's been some hostility because there's been some people actually um, de- denying people who were actually among them. First, John, I'm thinking First John 2 and 9, right? They went out from us because they weren't from us, right? You know what I'm saying? So there's been some, some crisis happening in the local church, right? There's been some people who they thought were with them who end up denying the divinity and the messiahship of Jesus. And so what happens is in, in, in 2 John, John is just like a good elder and a pastor. You know, this is part of our job is we got to be healthy dietitians, And sometimes we got to be able to help you recognize uh, what's good for you and what's not good for you. The people who might be corrosive and the people who are not. Now, listen, listen, listen. We belong and work for Jesus. This is not the Memphis Grizzlies. This is not your local public school. So people who y'all might let in your local school, well, maybe if some of those ideas are corrosive, man, they can't exist here in the local church because we're doing something completely different. And so like a good elder, hey, John says in the second epistle, in second John, he's like, hey, man, when these people come in the midst of your flock and they start talking that kind of talk, they're not welcome. Now, that seems really hard. It's like, Pastor Tim, that's not being tolerant. I'm just telling you what I'm telling you, just so y'all know right now, before we get there, years before we get there. Listen, if we in the mall and we had hit it, my boy, and we looking at them Air 90s together, yeah. You can talk all that talk you want to talk about. Man, I can't stand churches and Jesus, he ain't nothing. Yeah, man, man, them some cool shoes. And you know what? We could agree to disagree and we could keep it pushing. But you don't come in this house. See, you're not gonna come in this house and start rearranging furniture. I just wanna help you out now. There's some things that we believe in here that, man, we can we can part ways with out there. And you know what, brother? That's what you believe in. Amen. I respect that. You made in the image of God, and I love you. Let's go play tennis together next week. But you're not coming in this house. Rearranging the foundation ain't gonna happen, Jack. So you just take that for free somewhere. Use it. And then in 3 John, he actually says, hey, man, when these people come through, we want to welcome them. They are legitimate. They are from us. And so there's very much a, 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 a lot of pastoring going on by John in these letters. And 1 John is pretty much the same. And, and you could tell this crisis has been really riddling the churches on their mind. And John is basically going to say in his sermonic kind of letter, stay true to Jesus. You validate that you are truly one of his if you stay true to the commands that were taught. I like to call it, I learned it first, 1 John as the paternity test. Maury Povich, you know how it goes. You are not 
you know, you know, y'all didn't watch, y'all didn't grow up back then, see. When I, was, when I was young in my sanctification, I had a steady diet of Jerry Springer and Maury, you know. It was wild. It was just, it was sad. Look at Jeremy laughing back there. You know, it was, just, it was wild, man, you know. And mom coming in the house, what y'all watching? <laughs> TBN, Superbook. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> but when you look at 1 John, it is very much supposed to be a letter where you feel, hey, man, I do those things, and you are supposed to be comforted. It's like, yeah, I follow his commands. I love his children. Then he's trying to affirm you are in. And if you really look at those things and like, man, I don't do those things. He wants you to feel you is out. You can always be in, but right now you ain't in, brother, right? So it's very much supposed to be. It's going to be, it's going to use this, um, some linguistic kind of literary tools like amplification. It's going to use cyclical repetition. So it's just going to take a couple of ideas, and it's just going to kind of keep coming back to them, right? It's just going to keep coming back to these themes, right? It's just going to hit them a different way. It might just give you a different view, but it's going to keep coming back to certain ideals, and we'll get to those in a few minutes, right? Um, one of those things is, like we just said before, that there's going to be no, no gray. John uses a lot of stark contrast in these letters, right? He uses light, darkness. He uses we, them, right? Just these big ideas. He'll keep coming back. You know, he'll keep circling through them. All right. So all that, all that uh, intro just to get us to two verses that I want to lay on. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Everybody say, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. Now, what is this idea of born of God? Now, we talked about this before, um, really at nauseam. I don't want to belabor. But when we are talking about 1 John 4 and really these epistles, we're not talking about image bearers, right? We're not talking about just those who naturally bear the image and the wisdom of an invisible God just because they are breathing. We are specifically talking about those who've been remade in the image of the second Adam, right? Those who have been born again through Jesus' spirit when we place our faith in Christ, right? This is what happens. Tess, let's go back to our fancy, um, fancy sheet there. We call this regeneration. Call this regeneration. I don't want to lay on it, but I think we just need to hear it. I want you to hear it. I want you to get annoyed at me because you hear it so much. Once again, your neighbor made in the image of God. They were born, no matter their sexuality, no matter their political affiliation, no matter their race, they were born with inherent dignity, value, and worth. And they deserve to be loved and treated as an image bearer. Point blank, period. That's not who we're talking about. It's not who we're talking about today. What we are talking about is people. John 3 and 3, Jesus with Nicodemus. How can I get born again? Lily Grace, mama, can I hop back inside? Gina says, absolutely not. That ain't what we're talking about, right? What we are talking about is a rebirth that happens because all of the sudden, the Holy Spirit comes and convinces you, not that you are just a sufferer, but more importantly, you are a sinner. In some kind of way, you are living your life for yourself and against the glory of God. 
The Holy Spirit comes and makes you aware of that, makes you aware of the love of God, and He makes you new. He makes you alive. We call that regeneration. And when John is talking about the people who overcome the world, he's talking about people who have been regenerated through God's Spirit. And who are those people? Those are people who believe. That's why he says this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Let's talk about that faith a little bit. Verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, let's talk about this idea of conversion. Because after, go back, Tess, you good. Tess, you killing it today, man. I like that, I like that, I like that. So first, what John is saying is, it's subtle, but I think you need to realize it. That, right, you don't even believe until you've been reborn. It's just subtle, but it's true. You don't truly have genuine faith until first you have new eyes to see. This is Ezekiel 36. I'll give you a new heart, right, Jeremiah 31. I'll give you a new heart. I've got to remake you. Something is off in you that even though, is, was God any less good before you came to know him? Was he any less amazing before you came to know him? But you couldn't see it, right? One of my favorite preachers says, you were born blind with tinted sunglasses on. And until that amazing grace enables you to see, until that amazing grace through the Spirit opens your heart to receive truths that you used to be hostile to. I want to know about some people in this room used to be hostile to the gospel. I love talking to those people. I used to sit in church like they lying, they stupid, they don't believe that, and that's nothing. It's, it don't even, it's irrational. It don't make no sense. How many of y'all been walking with God? Some of y'all had them amazing courages. Now those things that you used to be repulsed to, you're like, hallelujah. Come on, man. That's what I'm talking about. Something got to happen inside you first in order to believe. Because I will tell you what's going to happen. People who try to will themselves to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, they flame out. And as soon as somebody comes to them with a more convincing argument, deuces. Some of y'all came to faith because, you know, that's just all you knew. You knew your mom and them went to church, and you knew your culture went to church, and that's just what we do in our household. And as soon as your roommate came and said, yeah, man, we ought to do this, we ought to do that, you're like, huh, seems better, seems wiser. You was out the door. That's why... Those who are truly his have to be regenerated first so that they can only know one thing. We call that conversion. Regeneration first, you got to be remade. And then what happens after you are regenerated is that your eyes are open, you can see, you repent, right? This is big, y'all. We got to just write it down somewhere, repent. There ain't no, no, you can't come no other way now. If you, ain't, if you came to Jesus and you ain't do no repenting, we got to, we got to have a little talk. Because essentially, basically, you was like, Jesus, man, I knew I was your number one pick. I was just waiting on you to kick me. <laughs> no. When none of us in here five-star recruits, none of us, as a matter of fact, we were the last kid on the uh, playground. Mm, mm, mm. All right, come on. That's a little more consistent with our story, right? Right? Go back to 1 Corinthians. Not many of us wise according to the world's standards, right? Not, not many of us impressive resumes, right? God takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. 
And in the spiritual game, we were all one of the foolish things. So anyway, let, let, I just want to talk about this because what happens is, who is it that, verse 5, who is it, stay right there on the thing. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. What happens after you've been regenerated, you've been born again, you have to repent, and then you have to believe some things. Now, there is um, a very interesting debate that has kind of, you know, taken a back seat in our latter day. But earlier on, when Christianity was first kind of buzzing um, on the eastern seaboard, um, I don't know, 18th century, there, there used to be some back and forth about what will be the, the way that we validate whether or not someone is actually in our faith. Do we just accept them on the basis of a perceived conversion experience? They call it conversionalism. Or will we just affirm if they say some things, do we affirm that, oh, they believe? So essentially, hey, do we just wait? Hey, man, you, are you in God's church? And if somebody say, man, you know what? I used to do this, and I, you know, you get the crying and experience, and I felt, no, I had this experience, right? I mean, do we validate that as you being a legitimate Christian? Or... Do we take, oh, man, you know what, here's the proper catechisms and all those things, and I affirm that Jesus is the Lord, I affirm that I was a sinner, I affirm that he is coming again. Do we accept that? We call that confessionalism. Let me just say, regarding conversion, I think there is no record in Scripture of a conversion without a confession, nor a confession without an experience. I'll tell you where I'm going in a second. Go to the conversion slide, it says, there's no record in scripture of a conversion without a confession, nor a confession without an experience. What happens for the people who have truly been born of God, according to verse five, they immediately now start believing something internally that they end up confessing publicly. There ain't no private faiths is what I'm saying, y'all. Oh, yeah, that's just some, uh, uh, you know, I, that's just, you know, that's what I believe. That's what just we in our house, we believe privately. Y'all know we live in a pluralistic society. And so the idea is like, man, don't nobody care what we believe as long as you keep that to yourself. Uh, listen, man, I, y'all worship Jesus? Amen. Go, you do what you do. You know what I'm saying? Did anybody bother y'all when y'all were trying to leave the neighborhood going to church this morning? Did anybody stand outside your house? No, Jesus, no, Jesus, you, no, no, he, no, nobody picketed outside your house. Nobody flattened your tires on the way to church because we live in a pluralistic society and they don't care. I don't care what you believe as long as you keep it to yourself. Let me tell you where I'm going. I was listening to a message by Brother Bishop Keller that essentially... <laughs> Bobby, Bobby, you can't make me laugh, Bobby. <laughs> what happens is we struggle in this day and age with universal truths, right? Heck, we had a whole past eight years where we are fighting for the very definition of truth, alternative truths, all kind of things, right? It's just wild out here. Hey, is that a stage? No, it's not a stage. It's a big balloon. What? It's all over the place. 
So now you tell me, I'm telling you why this is important, for a society where essentially we don't believe in universal truths, we believe what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for you is true for you, just don't bring your truth over here, right? But now how does that clash with what regeneration and conversion says must happen? That people who are reborn with a new nature end up coming out of that with a new profession that is public, that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has overcome the world. And that's not private, is it, y'all? That is very public. It's very public, but it's the truth. And we need to know that those are the people People who have truly been reborn end up coming because they have a true experience with the eye-opening, scale-lifting, chain-breaking God, and they emerge from wherever slumber they were sleeping in with a new profession that He is Lord to the glory of the Father. Those are the people who overcome. I want to talk really briefly about how do we know that we believe. Martin Luther always says this, that we are saved by faith alone, but that… But that Faith that saves is never alone. So when you're talking about, yeah, I believe, I believe, I believe, essentially where your receipts at, right? Where your receipts at? What, what happens is this, all the way throughout the Scripture, if you have your Bibles with you, just go back. I just want to read a couple of the first four verses that precede the one that we're preaching on today. It just says, verse 1, 1 John 5 and 1. Just everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is born, believes that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Now, just in those five verses, I think we have a pretty complete, it's not exhaustive, but enough of a, a broad sketch of what it looks like to follow God. How do we validate that you actually do believe in God? Tez, go back to our chart up there. These people, regeneration, they've been reborn. They have a new nature. When they emerge out of their new nature, they, they, they see the error of their ways. They repent. They put their trust in Jesus. The world is exposed. I love this. The world is exposed for the fraudulent thing that it is. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But then what happens is they commit themselves to Jesus' lordship. He says, Everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. And in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. So what happens is when you experience the chain-breaking, freeing love of God, that love, 2 Corinthians, compels you. It controls you, right? You are now under the Lord's spell of goodness. You recognize that he is the most amazing thing to your soul. And what that leads you to do is to obey his commands. This is how we know, that this validates that you have been born of God. You keep his commands. How do we know that you've been made alive? How do we know that you truly believe? You keep his commands. That's basically all that to say that. 
These chapters really mirror, if you want more on this, go back to John 15 through 17. This is literally John just recapitulating this whole thing. These are his big ideas. Who's abiding? Those who are keeping his commands. Who are his real friends? Those who obey him, right? These are the things that he just keeps offering back. How do we know you're alive? How do we know that you truly believe? You keep his commands. And I love that in verse, verse 3. And his commands are not burdensome. We talk about that. But I just think it's important for us to know that at some point, the duty does turn to delight. Amen, somebody? I'm not telling you that it's always easy to follow Jesus. How many of y'all know it ain't easy following Jesus? How many of y'all know the hardest thing you've ever done in your life is be a disciple of Jesus? It is absolutely the most difficult thing, and I'll tell you why in a minute. And if those of y'all who don't believe it's difficult, you're probably doing the wrong thing. We playing Catan, you playing Uno. <laughs> But what happens is after you're converted, you have this process of sanctification, keeping God's commands, and one of those other commands he has is loving his children. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. Listen, I know that this is just a side note. I know that it's... it is real popular in the cancel culture kind of age that we live in to, to kick people when they're down, to pile on. One of the things that always, y'all, I've heard it before, I've, I've said it before, people love to pile on the church. They love that. They love that. As a matter of fact, it, you know, it, it really bothers me to the point it almost nauseates me sometimes when we actually Uh, perceived Christians, we're going to find common ground and buddy up with people who decimate the church. That's how you, that's how y'all friends, because y'all hate the church together, and you a Christian. Yeah, the church, I can't, and don't, huh? Now listen, just, and we'll get on and get off of it. I try to pride myself on being an open, objective man. You know, I think one of the hardest things is probably like my dad as a pastor and, you know, growing up, you know, with p- p- lots of people we loved and were friends with. And you know what I'm saying? And I, I got it. It's like, oh, my dad's the pastor. Everybody's got an opinion of him. And they're not wrong for having an opinion of him. And you know what? I used to try to pride myself on being the guy. It's like, man, man, you got an opinion on my dad? Man, we can have an open, honest opinion and you can share those. I don't want you to feel in fear of retribution, I'm going to go tell my dad everything you said. But I do want you to know that still is my dad. Just want to let you know, bro. It's still my dad. I would caution y'all even too. Like, man, we can still have open, honest conversation. You know, that's still my family. You know, I have, there have been times in this room, it's like, hey, man, your church member. Okay, amen, that's cool. But you know, that's still in our flock. So there's a line, brother. This is some things that we just, places we ain't going to go. There's some conversations we ain't going to have because that's my family. And I'm telling y'all, if you have not made this discipleship turn in your heart, I will ask you to repent. This is from your heavenly Father. How you going, 1 John 4, 7, 8, beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God and everybody who loves is born of God. He who loveth not, loveth not God, for God is love. 
Beloved, let us love one another, one another. The second image bearers, love one another. Some of y'all, if you hadn't made that turn yet, and you, 1 John 4, if you're going to say you love God and hate the people he created, hate the people he saved, now come on now, y'all. Now how that's going to work? Somebody got to talk to me how that's going to work. Some of y'all out your own mouths. I can't stand Christian folks. Stop that. Stop that. Do you know if there was a perfect church, you couldn't be in it either? I might just need to, I just shouldn't, T, I just need the mic drop right there. Don't you realize that? If God was purging the church, you couldn't be there. We got to stop it, y'all. We have to learn to have an appetite for one another and to forbear with one another. And to, this is what he wants. It's, he sounds like a dad just like any other dad. Now, y'all stop that fighting and love one another. That's our testimony that we actually love one another. So, people who have been regenerated, people who evidence that regeneration because they emerge from that experience with a public confession and lifestyle that we are his and he is ours, people who are committed to obeying him and following his commands by first loving him and obeying his commands joyfully, at least committing to it, and those who are committed to loving one another. Those are the people who are born of God, and those are the people who will overcome the world. Let's just spend two minutes on the world. Ephesians 2, 2 through 3. I don't care where you line theologically. I think based on this scripture, whether you're Presbyterian, Arminian, Cobasinian, Habilinian, whatever it is, most would agree that there are, our opposition is threefold. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. All right, let's pause. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Everybody say, this world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Everybody say, ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh. Everybody say the flesh. And, the follow, and, and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Every one of us in this room, this is our testimony. This is why we needed to repent because this was our story, right? We followed the ways of the world. We were disobedient underneath the, the rule of the kingdom of the air. And we used to gratify the cravings of our flesh. Most theologians would agree the three great, threefold great opposition to the Christian is the world, the flesh, and the devil. You just write it down. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Real quick, we can't do a whole preaching on it. Let's talk about the devil real quick. Who's the devil? He is the leader of all that opposes God, period. <laughs> period! I had to give a little shimmy shake on that. He is the leader of all that opposes God. And he stirs up trouble all over the world, and he even endeavors to infiltrate and disturb the church. I think that's from R.C. Sproul. Do y'all realize that? Everything God has done, whether it's inside the church or if it's anything good, the devil is trying to reverse that. 
Second, let's go to um, the flesh. The flesh. It's just our base, primal, animalistic drives for self-gratification, especially as it pertains to sensuality and survival. It's the flesh. Turn to your neighbor and say, you broke. Turn to your other neighbor and say, something wrong with you. Now, we are not talking about physical bodies, right? We're not talking about our physical bodies, but there's something inside of us, the Greek word sarks, right? There's something inside of our flesh that actually leans away from doing God's commands. It's not natural for us to follow his commands. It's not natural for us to do them joyfully. It's not natural for us to see everyone made as image bearers, which is always confuses me why people are so confused about the brokenness in the world. Man, why you can't just see that person as somebody who has dignity and worth? Brother, what? What are you talking about? That ain't natural. What's natural for me is to see something I want and take it. No matter how you feel about it, that's what's natural. And that's a part of our flesh. Now, we're specifically talking about the world today. The world is a system of values, morals, practices, and social norms that are integrated into the mainstream. I love this. Institutionalized in a culture corrupted by the twin sins of rebellion against God and the redefinition of good and evil. Go back and see Genesis 3. The world is a system. I feel like I'm talking about the matrix now. <laughs> but just think along those lines. The world is a system. And when, when, when John is talking about the world, he's not talking about uh, uh, the, the, the big matter and ball that orbits around the sun and whatever. He's talking about a system of ideas. I think the best read I had of all last year was the um, Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. And this is how he says those tri that trifle opposition against the Christian works together. He says, what happens is, go to the, uh, yeah, right there. The devil takes his deceitful ideas, which are lies, that play into our disordered, disordered desires, which is our flesh, and they are normalized in a sinful society. The devil takes his lies, his deceitful ideas, and they play on the part of us that actually opposes God. It's so perfectly fit for us. He's like, hey, you should do that. And we're like, oh, that sounds so good. How many of y'all know sin is pleasurable? How many of y'all know we got an instinct in us that wants to rebel against God? We don't have to be a lie about it. It's true. I have a vision for my life, Chris. Look, I don't, can't speak for nobody else. But here's a vision for my life that, you know, I could be on that beach with sipping the pina coladas and 20 surround sound TVs and Gina, you know what I'm saying, and private babysitting, and it don't, it don't include God in there, not at all. That's all of us. All of us could, would create, if we could be promised utopia and we didn't have to serve God, we probably would do it. The devil takes his lies, his deceitful ideas, they play on our disordered desires. And what happens that makes it so hard to get out of that web is that those things have been normalized in a godless and sin sinless society, sinful society. 
What I'm saying is, if you're a sinner, you won't stick out because everybody's doing it. And you won't feel guilty because everybody's doing it. That's what happens. And this is why we have to overcome the world. This is why it's such a great feat. Because do you realize for God to get those sinful, imperfect people all the way from birth until salvation, that will be the greatest feat of all history. Your salvation, how you made it out, is a miracle. How you survived the lies, how you survived your flesh, nothing but the grace and the Spirit of God. I want you to think about people you grew up with who have left the faith. I want you to think about people in your Sunday school class have deconverted. I want you to think about people on your street who were blazing on fire and faithful. Now you tell me, how is it you still believe what you believe? Some of y'all need to hit your knees and just thank God. And just thank God. Because you know it's not you holding on to him. You know it's him holding on to you. I just want to say that if at any point on this journey you find yourself outside of the people of God, as long as you're alive, there is still grace Today, if you hear my voice, harden not your heart. Today, if you believe that this is right, today is your day. You can turn and you can accept the truth. All right, we got to go. We gotta get out. I ain't preached at y'all, so I decided to get you an hour burger. I missed you so much. <laughs> so what do we do? Do we live in fear? No. Those who believe in Jesus, those who have been born of God, that's evidenced by them obeying God and loving God's people, they overcome the world. This is why I included this in your encourage yourself section. So that when you feel most pessimistic about the big picture, that when you are most being assaulted by your sin and your guilt, that you can turn to this and you can remember, First John, for, for those who are born of God have overcome the world. I, it's through our faith that we have overcome the world that you can remind yourself the devil is defeated, right? How many, you have to remind yourself of that. Whether you are being assaulted by your personal sin or whether you are being assaulted by the brokenness in this world, that the devil will not win. One of the things that John Mark Comer, he pulls out in his book, is that you have got to believe in a literal devil. That when Jesus speaks about the devil, he's not talking about some immaterial being. He's always talking about a real opposition. But you got to know that he's defeated. You got to remind yourself you're on the winning side of things, y'all. People always want to talk about, I want to be on the right side of history. Bump that. I want to win, period. And with Jesus, we win, yo. And you got to keep demonstrating where you have your faith. John Piper says, going back to confessionalism versus conversionism, going back to this idea, is it just what I say I believe 
Or do I have to have this real experience? You know, even the demons actually believe that Jesus is who he says he is. They're like, hey, well, shoot, he is the king. But that doesn't, believe, that, that doesn't mean they have that pistis, that faith that, com, that it leads to conversion faith. They believe facts, but does not believe they've dropped their anchor. I love this. Just write that. I want you to think about this. John Piper says that your moment of faith is when you begin to treasure Christ above all things. I love that. That's the moment. When did I believe? When I believed that he was to be exalted and to be treasured above everything, not my wife, not my children, not my career, not what I have, not what I don't have, that he is more beautiful and more valuable. He is more worthy of my life than anything else. That's true faith and the reward of that faith is to dwell with him on the winning side forever. But it won't be easy. Ak, you can come on back up. Let me read these four verses over you. Just listen. You could even close your eyes. Philippians 2.12, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Hebrews 3 and 6, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope of which we boast. Matthew 24 and 9, listen. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because, of, because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate one another. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold but the one who endures to the end will be saved. I want everybody to close your eyes as I read a little bit of the scripture we'll preach to you next week. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, Revelation 21 and 7. I will be their God and they will be my children. Listen, listen, y'all. But the cowardly and the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Let us remind ourselves daily that those who have been born of God have overcome the world our faith, that the devil is defeated, that we are on the winning side, and let us make it our business daily to keep demonstrating where we have placed our faith and endure to the end.